This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to the Non and Ever podcast. I'm Jamie Smith and joining me today are James, Natalie and hopefully Kevin to talk about Burnley's 0-0 draw at Reading. We've also got Dan from the Tylerst end who will be on to talk about the penalty incident in particular. Um, Natalie, we don't want to go too early on the penalty stuff but 0-0, a bit of a disappointing result but it keeps the unbeaten run going as well. Yeah, it's it's quite hard to um, be disappointed with a point away from home. Most of the away games in this division are very tough matches. We predicted last week on the podcast that this would be a tough game. Um, actually, as it turns out, I think it was easier than we expected it to be. Um, I actually thought Burnley's performance was was very very good. I thought we had some good performances for some from some real key players. The only thing that was missing was uh, the clinical edge in front of goal. Uh, we created so much, and for me, it was a it was a dominant performance, particularly in midfield. And I was very, very impressed. Do you think it was just maybe one of those days, James? It didn't seem to go our way, particularly for for Andre Gray, who, as well as the penalty, had a golden chance just two or three minutes into the game. Yeah, no, I think obviously Andre had quite a quite a few opportunities to to score. There's one you mentioned, and I think there's one where um, Loughton's put across across the six-yard box, and really he should be doing better because by the time it gets to him, it's a practically an empty net um, for him to tap into. You know, it it's obviously good to see us dominate teams like that, but you'd almost rather see us play poorly and get one goal off the back of someone and win than uh, play so well and only get a point. I suppose the the fear is that a game like this that we've probably done enough to win, but not got the goal it could come back to us at the end of the season if it turns out to be tight we knew that with Middlesbrough playing on Monday night we could go into the top two we would go into the top two with a win and we failed to take that opportunity so yeah obviously the opportunity is there for us to to push on and give ourselves a real advantage in the table and unfortunately we've uh, not been able to take it right well the big talking point I suppose we, we best get onto this so we don't do the whole podcast talking about the penalty but uh, Burnley had a golden chance to open the scoring when Andre Gray went down in the penalty box under a challenge from the goalkeeper Ali Al-Habzi um, Natalie you should clarify at first obviously the TV highlights have a pretty poor angle of this so it's difficult to be conclusive either way but what's your view on what happened? My oh, my view is that it's 
was a penalty. Um, I think it was a penalty that he created. Um, I'm not going to go as far as to say that he dived. Um, I, yes, the replays are very, very difficult to get um, a good look at. The, the angle's really tough. And unfortunately, we've only got the angle where the defender comes across um, the front of the camera and blocks our view. The reason why I'm going to say it's a penalty um, is why would Andre Gray face with an open net and a chance to score? Why would he go down? He's got no reason to go down, especially with, you know, he could easily put that ball in the back of the net. The next touch he takes of that ball is a goal. And I, for that reason, I'm going to say it was a penalty. I think that's that's one of the most valid points you can make about the incident. Um, we'll hear from, from Dan, as I mentioned, Dan the Reading fan later. But what he pointed out was how angry Ali Al-Habsi was about the award and sometimes you get an indication from the reaction of the players like if they look down at their feet straight away you can tell they're guilty they realize they've messed up but Al Habsi was absolutely furious um James what's your take um for me it's one of those classic penalty decisions really isn't it the the strikers come through one-on-one with the keeper he goes around the keeper and it's almost like no matter what happened, he was probably going to end up going down. It's hard to say whether you know the slightest amount of contact in that situation is enough to bring them down because they're almost obviously half expecting contact and trying to get around it, um, you know, or whether they're looking for a penalty. And that it's one of those ones where it, it's really difficult to tell. Uh, you know, there, there probably is some contact, but it's just hard to tell how much of it is that's the way they were going already and how much of it is obviously the, the difference the contact makes. Do you think if it was the other way around and Tom Heaton coming out, then we'd maybe have a different view of what the strikers do? I don't know, because I think it is one of those ones that it it is understandable. The the, the way the play is obviously shaping up when the ball comes round, as well because they're, they're going to turn straight back in after they've rounded the keeper. It's easy to see how you know the balance there is so fine compared to say the the ones where he's he's caught from behind or you know someone's pulling his shirt it is a very obviously very different dynamic of how the body's moving at the time so i'm not sure because they are i think that's a, those are probably the, the penalties that are almost the automatically given ones the one on one with the keeper it's you know there's barely there's not many of those where the referee will think over it for a long time it's normally quite a quick decisive decision there's a couple of comparisons. I think um, Chelsea at the turf last season when Costa went through on goal and then went down. A couple of people suggested it was similar to that. Also, obviously, this weekend, Jamie Vardy for Leicester at Arsenal where Monreal maybe touched him a little bit. Um, it's it's really tricky, isn't it, Natalie? Partly because we've, we've not seen it closely enough. But also, you just you don't want to think one of your players has done that. And traditionally, I'm sure a lot of fans of clubs think this, but I don't think Burnley tend to go in for that sort of stuff. By which I mean cheating. <laughs> if if my talking around the subject euphemistically hasn't made it clear, I'm talking, we don't normally cheat. No, and that's absolutely true. And I think 
we've actually we've gone too far the other way there's actually been some suggestion from from fans on forums and and when you talk to talk to people in that sometimes I think we're too honest for our own good you know sometimes players get frustrated where you know strikers will stay on their feet they won't adopt gamesmanship like other other sides play and and that can sometimes work to our detriment you know other team Reading tried absolutely everything if you look at the game on Saturday it's not just the penalty incident, which I'm sure we'll come on to, the, the behaviour around it. All the way through the game, they were niggling. There were there were little bits of stamping. There was shirt pulling. They were, they were getting in their faces. They adopted a game, um, a real strategy to, to stop Burnley in any way they could. And a lot of that is down to the fact that they didn't have the technical ability to beat us. They knew we were a better side and they knew that if they tried to matchos ball for ball on the park they were going to get beat and I genuinely believe that a lot of of the um the penalty incident was was it was almost like childish frustration they had a real spit in the dummy out incident when they, you know they started all their um ridiculous behavior around the penalty including the keeper's reaction to you know and getting in the in the referee's face and going on about how it wasn't um a penalty at all it just you know, we don't do that. We just quietly get on and we, you know, we do, we just play football and we get the game done. I still don't think that Gray deliberately died. You know, he didn't dive, he didn't cheat, he didn't buy that penalty. He went down, I think, under a legitimate foul. So in that sense, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with him and I'm going to say, no, he didn't cheat. I think it's, it's also important to point out, Reading fans were quite keen to show screenshots and freeze frames that they felt proved there was no contact but the rule books doesn't say there has to be any contact if the keeper's impeded him then it can still be a penalty uh, the way the keeper comes out James if, if he doesn't get the ball it's difficult for him to really have arguments no, no that's what I think I was saying when you talk about that being you know a very common penalty scenario is that Keepers obviously do come out for the ball like that, and the striker has to shape up to try and avoid the keeper and and keep the ball. And if the keeper doesn't get the ball, then you know, and when a, a player's nipped it round him, you know, with such tight margins, there's more often not going to be contact. Um, and even if there isn't, as you've said, you know, you don't have to actually make contact to, to impede a player. Um, and just through the act of obviously trying to avoid the keeper, there's a good chance the striker could go down. It's, I think it's one of those ones, isn't it? That's they are common and they happen so fast as well. I think you know you talk about Reading fans taking freeze frames. I think from the distance that you know the cameras are in the the championship, I don't think they you know they're well equipped to look again at those those sort of incidents. You know, maybe if you're in the Premier League and you've got the multiple angles and you've got you know sort of like a pitch level reverse shot almost you, you, you're probably going to get a better idea but in the championship where the you know the camera's not really even zoomed in tightly on the incident they happen so fast you know for all you know it could just be the, the toe of the keeper's boot makes contact with the the side of the player's fourth uh, midfoot and that's enough to bring him down when he's changing direction at that kind of speed so um it's a it's a really difficult one, I think, to to retrospectively go back and look at. Should point out as well, we we didn't um, 
bring this up on the podcast last week, actually, but Sam Volks was booked for diving, wasn't he? He must be the first Burnley player to go in the book for simulation for, for some time, really. Maybe Dimi Papadopoulos would have been the last one. Yeah, it was a really strange one, um, the, the Volks one, I think. He didn't look to claim anything, so I don't know whether there was you know, a, a basic misunderstanding there and that he, he went down... You know, he stumbled, lost his step because he definitely wasn't looking to claim anything. And he he seemed to gesture to the referee that that was the case when um, he got booked. But you know, I think it's one of those things that sometimes certain referees are looking to clamp down on it more than others. And you know, maybe they think that a player is trying to trying to con him um, when, in actual fact, the player just loses his footing and, and goes down and isn't trying yeah, to look for anything. I, I like think Goltz basically said in the press that he had gone down a bit easily and didn't really argue with the referee's decision. Um, moving past the, the decision itself then, unfortunately we have to stick on the penalty because of what Sean Dyche called bizarre and unacceptable antics by the Reading players. Um, Hal robson Carney seemed particularly guilty of this and he was booked. He kicked the ball off the spot and seemed to scuff the spot up as well. Um, Natalie, you don't seem to see this thing, this sort of thing very often, do you? But potentially had an impact on, on Grey waiting to set the penalty? There was a long delay. Yeah, it's... I mean, I'm, I'm particularly outraged by that entire episode. The more I watch it, the more I just see the red mist and I get really angry. It's absolutely outrageous behaviour. Um, and I think this is the, what the, the point I was alluding to when I was you know, talking about the, the Reading behaviour on mass a few moments ago. It just felt like playground childishness of a team that had been, you know, we were superior throughout the game. We did play better than them. We were just lacking that, you know, killer edge to, to put the ball in the back of the net. And it was just a, seemed to be a group of players who'd had, you know, rings run around them for a, a full half and a bit and they'd fed up and they didn't know what to do. And, you know, they just spit the dummy out and just started this ridiculous behaviour. It was absolutely, it was just outrageous. I can't stress enough how much it's wound me up and I'm quite surprised to see <clears throat> how little press coverage there's been of that incident if you look at the football league highlights they don't show any of the melee after the um well you know while he's waiting to take the, the penalty at all and it's not been mentioned anywhere you know the the Reading manager has been pressed on it and just as said oh you know it's my players it's acceptable I don't you know I don't really want to talk about it it's my players and it's it's fine Um, and nobody else has picked up on it and I think just because it's a championship game if that had been a Premier League game or more high profile it would have been on the back pages and it would still be in the headlines now whether or not that affected Gray I don't know it didn't seem to and it did seem to be quite calm who knows only Gray will be able to answer that but it just the, just the whole incident was just ridiculous. I think that maybe comes back to James's point about cameras a little bit. Maybe if there'd been more cameras, we'd have had clearer shots of of what Robson Carney did to the spot. But I think the media quite often, if they don't have pictures, I, I know for a fact, actually, if the media doesn't have pictures or something, they find it quite difficult to report it sometimes. Um, James, next up then, a lot of Burnley fans were unhappy with the encroachment from some of the Bur- some of the Reading players, sorry, and also Al Habsi, who seemed to take at least one step off his line before Gray struck it, but also Gray had a stutter in his run-up, so what's your take on that? Um, I don't think you can have much complaint about the encroaching from behind, because really it shouldn't affect Andre Gray, and that should only be an issue 
you know, if it came to... And also that happens at every single penalty. Yeah. Ever. I mean, the only time really you should expect that to be pulled back is if the the keeper save rebounds right into the, you know, back into the penalty spot area and your, your players can't, don't have a fair opportunity to get to it because of the encroachment. But normally it's both sides doing it anyway, isn't it? So it's, you know, much of a muchness. Um, I think keepers coming off the line is quite common as well. Um, and it's something that not enough referees really enforce that the keeper has to have his feet on or behind the line when the when the kick's taken. Um, and that just seems to be, I think, the, you know, the commonly used goalkeeper shortcut, isn't it, to, to try and save a penalty is to, just before it's taken, take a step off your line and try and narrow the angle a little bit. It was a good save, to be fair, but we'll hear from Dan later on. He thought that Al Habsi would have saved it regardless of, of coming off his line. Um, again, Natalie, use of, of freeze-frame technology has been used by Burnley fans this time to show how far off his line he was. By the time he saves it, he is some distance off his line, but obviously you jump forwards, um, so that doesn't really prove anything. Um, and do you think Al Habsi moving off his line had, had any impact, or was it just not a very good penalty from Andre Gray? Um, I don't think it did have that much of an impact, to be honest. It, the key for me, and, and you know, we, we talk about freeze framing and, and put, you know, uploading screenshots of anything to try, to try and prove a point. When you watch the penalty in um, real time, it, he does leave his line really, really late. Um, and I do wonder whether the sort of stuttered run up from Gray added to that and maybe his momentum went uh, yeah, with him. Yeah, I, I, I don't think the goalkeeper moves before Gray stutters. And I think if you're a striker and you stop, you can't expect the keeper to then stop as well. The keeper's ready to go. I agree. Yeah, I agree with that completely. I mean, just picking up on a point you said then, Jamie, when I look at it in real time, I don't think it was particularly a bad penalty to you. I mean... No, I, I, I read some stuff about um, the penalties against Derby. Some people said that they weren't particularly well taken. I think we did a bit of this on the podcast then, but... If if you wait for the goalkeeper to move and then just roll it into the empty net, that, that's a good penalty. That's technique. I think Gray's Gray's gone to put it in the top corner and not got it close enough. There's different ways of doing it, isn't there? I mean, I wanted to ask about penalty taking. We we did this after the derby game, didn't we? When we had the the Gray taking some penalties, votes taking the others. But there's different ways of doing it. You can you can wait as late as possible for the goalkeeper to commit and try and put it the other way. Or you can just try and hit it as hard as possible, which is what Graham Alexander did. There's various ways of doing it, and in the end, bad penalties don't go in, and good penalties do, I suppose. Yeah, unless you, like you say, you get a situation like this where you know I think he does make a really good save. Um, I, I don't know; it's a really funny one. We could look at it all day, and you know, if it if if the ball hits the back of the net, then you can argue that he's the, the run up's really good and he's actually you know dummied the keeper and it's a great penalty. You can, there's always going to be, you're always going to be vulnerable when you miss a penalty by criticism to say it's a bad penalty. My personal view, when you look at it in real time without any slowdown, without any freeze frame, I think Gray made a good penalty um, and I, th- sorry, took a good penalty and I think the keeper made a good save and it's just one of those where it just didn't go in. But interestingly, um, one of the points that we haven't yet come up, come, sorry, come on to, Gray didn't really look like his head was in the game for the entire game anyway. So I'm not entirely sure whether it was the melee around the penalty incident itself that put him off or it just wasn't his day. No, I, I think that was true. James touched on it and he was saying that the, the chance that he missed, it, it seems to have these days, James, where it just doesn't fall for him. But 
I suppose with the goals he scored as the top scorer in the league, you don't want to be too critical of him and all strikers miss chances, but this is a day that we could reflect on at the end of the season as being costly. Yeah, no, I think there have been a few games where, um, you know, for, for whatever reason, Gray just hasn't seemed seem like he's going to be able to finish a chance. And I think previously what we've seen is that obviously other players have stepped up and we've got goals that way. Um, but I think, like you said, you know, top scorer in the league, I don't think you can really hold it against him if he, he has a couple of off games where um, he doesn't take his chances. Joining me now, I've got Dan from the Reading FC website and podcast, The Tilehurst End. Dan, what did you make of the game? Jamie, hello. Um, yeah, it was okay. Uh, I've had to sit through two straight nil-nils, but this one was certainly better than uh, the one from Wolves the week before. Pretty exciting game as far as nil-nils go. I think a point was fair in the end. I think Redden had more of the actual possession in the game, but Burnley certainly had the better of the chances. Uh, obviously, the big talk—the big talking point was the penalty incident. Um, a lot of Reading fans seem to be of the opinion that Andre Gray dived. Do, do you share that view? Well, I, I was directly opposite when it first happened. My initial reaction is, that's a penalty. I was sort of resigned to, the, oh, he's going to clear him out here and give away a pen. But the way that Al Habsi reacted... Um, sort of did make me think that there was something a bit dodgy with it, with Gray. I mean, Al Habsi, he's not the greatest goalkeeper in the world, but he's a pretty honest keeper. And for him to go, you know, so over the top and in his appeals to the referee did make me think that there was something else to it. I watched it a few times back on the telly. It's really inconclusive. It's the uh, the one time when being in the championship really kicks you in the teeth because you don't get those multi-angle replays. Yeah, I was going to say the angle I've seen, you just you just can't see what's happened. No, not at all. I mean, my theory is is that if he stays on his feet anyway, he might well get contact. He might well go down, but he's certainly gone down a little bit easy. He's probably Whether anticipating the... it, isn't he? That's, yeah, that's exactly. Exactly. Whether he was going to take a tumble anyway, you like to think he's a good enough player to to wait for the actual contact itself or even stay on his feet and, you know, control the ball and tuck it into the net. But as I said, I, I can't really see it. I've only seen it once in real time and from one camera angle. But um, I can only go by what Ali Al-Habsi said and he said to, to Brian after the game, you know, I, I didn't touch him. So you, I suppose you've got to take him for his word. Sean Dyche, I know, says, you know, he's seen it. He thought it was a pen. Brian's seen it back and he says he, he can't make heads or tail of it. But... At the end of the day, it was taken and it was a good save by Al Habsi, although he was a little bit sneaky. I think he uh, was a good couple of yards off his line. That's what when... I was going to come to next. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, Al Habsi was particularly angry with the decision, but there was quite a lot of delaying antics from your players, wasn't there? Hal Robson, Carney were digging yeah. up the spot, I think possibly the worst of them. I suppose yeah, I maybe that justified not... by being unhappy with the decision, maybe? I mean, you don't like to see it. I mean, you like to see a fair game being played. I mean, the referee, I thought, was awful. And his job of controlling the players throughout the game was, was dire. Um, I know he's an easy target, but Joe Barton, he knows what he's doing. Um, and he was winding up the Reading players all day. The referee wasn't keeping it under wraps. And then when you do get a big flashpoint incident like that, it's always likely to boil over. So, I mean, Howe's not got a massive reputation as a particularly dirty player or someone that, you know, takes the mickey like that. So it must have been real frustration for him to do that. And as for Al Habsi coming off his line, he probably thought he was justified on the basis of if he did think Gray dived. Um, it was a good save nonetheless. I, I think, I'd like to think he would have got to it anyway if he'd stayed on his line, but uh, it's, just, it's just one of those things in football, isn't it? Yeah. I think the, the thing about him coming off his line has been a bit overplayed, I think. I've seen a still where he, he only looks a yard 
at most, and I think most keepers try and get that little bit of an advantage if they can in that situation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not very few keepers will stay completely rooted. Uh, and I said he still had to get a good leap to it to save it. And, you know, if Gray puts it in the right place or makes him go the wrong way, um, you know, it's, it's irrelevant anyway. I think there was some talk that Dave Besson on the touchline was sort of giving him instruction um, as to where Gray likes to take his penalties. I don't know if, if that's the sort of area he usually puts him away. Uh, yeah, apparently, I think he's got a couple of run-ups and he did the stutter on and when he stutters, he tends to put it that way. Yeah. Like, if you're going to stutter, surely the objective is to make the goalkeeper commit and then put it the other way. I think he's done that a couple of times. Well, absolutely. I mean, I was asked um, by 442 this week to put forward my top five championship players and I put Andre through as one of them. So I do feel uh, a little bit responsible for <laughs> Saturday's downfall. <laughs> Your fault for jinxing it. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, going on sort of the broader game, he missed two absolutely cracking he chances. Terrible. He seems to have those games, though. He has games where he's totally unplayable. I think I said this, didn't I, in the Q&A yeah. for you? I said that he has games where he looks totally unstoppable and then other games where he just looks absolutely hopeless. And Well, I mean, the thing is, he, he looked frightening. I mean, the pace he's got and the movement, you could see exactly why you've paid eight million for him and why he scored so many championship goals. I mean, there was one moment, I think towards the end of the first half where he just left two Reading players completely trailing and sort of wriggled into the box and the chance didn't ultimately come to anything, but you know, he was frightening and you guys have got such a good attacking unit with Boyd and Vokes. And when you've got players like Matty Taylor and, and Kitely ready to come off the bench, you know, it sort of puts us to shame and we've got the, you know, a useless waste of space like Lucas Pearson. Um, Occupying, occupying one of the flanks. So, you know, very, very jealous of your side right now. You must be delighted with the point as well. Of course, that's four points you've taken from two games against us this season. Probably won't be too many teams match that record. You must wish you played playing as more often. Uh, well, Reading just seems to raise their game against the better teams. I mean, last year we took six points off Norwich. Um, and, you know, this time around we've got four points off Burnley. We've got one point off the MK Dons. It's just it's just the way we are. We're we're very inconsistent. I, in the abstract, I'm happy with the point, but I think that takes our record now to three wins from 19 in the championship. You know, our last away win was at your place at Turf Moor. It's been a real, real sad fall down the table. Obviously, Clark lost his job around Christmas. Brian's come back and he's done okay. He's got us playing a lot more solid, uh, but the goals just aren't there. And the entertainment factor's gone. You know, you turn up at the game, and I think the crowd was about. 17 odd um, on Saturday. Well, there wasn't that in the ground. I think a lot of season ticket holders now are wisely opting to spend their Saturday doing something more enjoyable. So it's, it's going to be a bit of a project to try and win our fans back over. I, I presume you've got no fears of, of relegation for the rest no. of the season, though. It's just playing out the rest of the games and trying to go again next year. Is no, it? We're, we're not one of the three worst teams in the Championship. I mean, we're off form and we're not firing, but. We've not taken we've not taken a real hide in this season. I think um, we lost three one at Forest is about the only game where I thought yeah we've been we've been well and truly outplayed. We've been in every game, every game since Brian's come back has been decided by one goal or less. Um, so, so we're in these games. It's just a case of just putting them putting the finishing touches on, trying to build a side as well. We've not had a great luck with injury. We obviously lost Nick Blackman to Derby, although he seems to have jinxed them since he's gone up there. I don't think they've won since he moved, but. Yeah, it's just it's just a lost season, really. We're all, all our eggs are in the cup basket, and we've got West Brom on Saturday in the fifth round, and and hopefully can do do one over them and uh, book another trip to Wembley. Well, best of luck for that. Just finally, then, Dan, you've probably not seen the best of Burnley this season with with us seemingly not really performing well against Reading, but 
What do you make of our promotion chances? Look, I, I absolutely back you. I mean, I've seen um, all of, you know, I've seen us play all of the top top sides this season now and you're a better side than Brighton. Um, I think, I mean, Hull have got maybe a little bit more star power like Hernandez, um, but I, I easily think you're the match of them. Derby are in free fall. Um, Borough good, but again, they always seem to wobble at this time of year. I really think you've got it. I said, I think you've got a great manager in Daesh. Good, solid defence. You said you're attacking options and it's not just what you've got on the in the starting 11. You've got those options to come off the bench. It's just keeping everybody fit. If you keep Gray fit, keep Vokes in the mix, I think you'll do really well. I, I, you know, I slagged him off earlier, but Joe Barton, he's a good, he's a good solid pro. He knows, he knows exactly what he's doing and he's got teams out of this division. Um, along, Jones is good alongside him as well. Great side. You know, you just need as every championship side does, you need that little bit of luck with injuries, little bit of luck with your results. And uh, yeah, I've, I, you know, I'll I tip you to make that top two. Excellent. Well, hopefully you'll be right. And thanks for taking the time to join us. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks very much, Jamie. Take it easy. Excellent. That was Dan from the Reading FC website and podcast, The Tylerist End. Highly recommend checking it out. Um, now we're going to move on. And Burnley have signed a player, which happily happened just before we went on to record the podcast on Monday. Um, Lloyd Dyer, former Watford, Leicester City winger, he's got a lot of experience in the Championship and crucially, he has some pace. Um, Natalie, what's your reaction to this signing? Um, I think it's a, I think it's a good signing on, on the basis that it's free. We've not had to spend any money on it, so why not um, bolster your squad? We talked about this around the transfer window um, that we felt that we were disappointed that we'd not signed any winger or any creativity in the squad um i've I, I admit i didn't know an awful lot about him um until we signed him today and um, so I've, I've had a, a you know a quick look at some of his uh there's some quite handy compilations on youtube of his uh, <laughs> i of quite mentioned that actually. did season. you watch the, the burnley one that was set to yes. was it scouting for girls and it was about a minute long yes. and at least half of that minute was just like dyer running really fast not actually doing anything yes. just running really fast <laughs> It clearly been knocked together in about half an hour. Exactly. Yeah, I did find that. I felt quite emotional when I was watching. I was like, "This is who is this guy we've signed?" It was like chariots of fire. It was, Um, but you know, if that's you know, it it does give you a good um, look at some of his best bits. For you know, for want of a better expression, he does seem to be quite pacey. One thing that struck me watching the footage was that he seems to be a very positive very direct winger he seems is in the joy barton category of always trying to look forward always trying to create a chance he seems to shoot quite freely so if he gets sight of goal he, he wants to, to you know to have, have, a, have a crack at, at a goal he seems to have pulled a few uh, scotty arfield-esque efforts in his career as well so you know whether he's still got that now he's getting on a bit isn't he i don't know but you know why not you know it's, it's good cover and you know it might might get us over the line. It's it's a little risk, isn't it, to start with a player that's been unattached on a free transfer, he's probably not on a fortune with wages, and it just adds another option, doesn't it? I'd actually, um, when when Dyer left whatever club it was 18 months ago, I thought he'd be quite a good signing then, and put on Twitter, Lloyd Dyer on a free, but I think he was already going to Leicester at that point. Um, scored 10 goals for Leicester that season, the same season they went up as us. So he's got that promotion winning experience, which we already have quite a bit of in the squad as well. Um, James, on the face of it, Dial seems fine as like an additional option, but 
compared to the players we were in for in January, Alan George and um, Alex Pritchard, is it fair to say this is clearly a bit of a downgrade? Um, well, yeah, he's unattached. I think it, he'd probably even uh, find it hard to disagree that um, he looks like a, a less attractive option to bring in than either of those two, but he's got experience, hasn't he, of going up and... I don't think we're massively missing anything in that in that position. So he's I think he's another person in the side, isn't he? And he's he's clearly got a bit of pace. Um hopefully that pace has survived his recent Arctic expedition, looking by the, the coat he's wearing in that picture of him signing in. So um Not a fan of the coat, are you, James? Before the podcast I, I asked James and Natalie, as I always do, if there's anything in particular they want to talk about. And James said, Can we talk about how terrible Lloyd Dyer's coat is? <laughs> Fashion corner on the Norman Over podcast. Uh, they, they're becoming quite. I've seen a few of them now, and they just look very unnecessarily big. I mean, I know it can get a bit nippy in Burnley this time of year, but it's not really that cold, is it? I feel like we've we've catapulted into some bizarre universe where we're dishing out footballers' fashion advice in James Bird corner. I'm not really sure what's happening right now. <laughs> I, mean, I will be honest, I haven't purchased a coat myself in a number of years now. So. Not, not a coat expert. Yeah, I'm probably not in fashion myself. Sh- shall we move on from talking about coats <laughs> and come back to football? Uh, I suppose one concern with Dyer could be that fitness, as much as anything, Natalie, he's not been at the club all season. Presumably he's been keeping himself fit, but... As we know, Dash demands extra from his players compared to a lot of clubs. So by the time he gets Dash fit, as we like to say, it's going to be towards the end of the season. Although, to be fair, he's probably going to be used from the bench anyway. Yeah, I was going to just about to say that. I'm not expecting um, him to come in and push for a starting play straight away. I think when Barton scored and we knew we had to wait for him to get um, up to fitness, we always knew in the back of our minds that he was being earmarked for a, a starting um, place anyway I don't think that this is the case here so I think the pressure is off off him to get fit within a couple of weeks um, I'm expecting him to be um, options on the bench especially when you know in the, in the latter stages on the 84th minute when Deitch feels that he needs some creativity to get us you know a result sounds a little bit early that to be honest the 84th minute yeah well no we've, we've got options now on the bench so you know I thought we, I thought we were going to get through a whole podcast without talking about dash of substitutions, but yeah. maybe next Sorry. week. <laughs> maybe next week. <laughs> One little thing I wanted to touch before we do tweet of the week and then look ahead to Rotherham. Um, some talk around that Joey Barton might be about to sign a new contract. James, you'd welcome that one. He's been so fantastic since getting in the team. Yeah, no, I, I think that'd be fantastic. You know, particularly if we we do manage to make it up. Um, you know he's got Premier League experience. Uh, he, he probably still is good enough. He probably still is good enough to sign with someone in the Premier League this season, uh, in, in my opinion. And you know to be able to tie him up at this stage would be great. I think he's obviously enjoying his time at the club, isn't he, Natalie? And he's made a big difference. It seems like a bit of a no-brainer if he wants to stay. Uh, yes, 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 yes. Please sign and sign now. And I would, I would give him a ten-year contract. No, obviously, I'm, I'm exaggerating. Not financially yeah. signed. <laughs> <laughs> Give a thirty-three-year-old player a ten-year contract. I don't think that would be a good idea. Being a bit giddy there, but I would certainly welcome it. He has completely changed our side this season. He is a fantastic player, and 
I never ever thought I would be a Joey Barton fangirl, but please sign him and sign him on now. I think he's won 99% of Burnley fans all around. There's still some dices out there. Um, we'll look ahead to Rotherham at the end of the podcast and do um, predictions as ever. And predictions might be very different now that Natalie's um, jinxing thing has been proven to be a failure. But Natalie, what, what did you get for this week's Tweet of the Week after the call for better entries on last week's podcast? There was, and in fact, there was a collective best. Well done, everyone. Good tweeting. The... Well done, people. Yes, good, very good. You, you obviously listened and, and did well. Um, to, actually, to the point where we very nearly had our first collective tweet of the week this week. Um, a few minutes after the dust had settled on the penalty incident on Saturday, um, a tweet popped up on my timeline that basically said, "You know, twenty-seven million, and he can't score a penalty." In. And I thought, God, that's brilliant. And that made me giggle. And somebody taking a very lighthearted um, take on it. But then what happened was that my entire timeline was filled with about 100 of the same tweet, literally exactly the same comment, but with slightly escalating numbers. 700 million and he can't score a penalty. 156 billion and he can't score. So I couldn't really pick <laughs> one of those because everybody did I mean, the same I've, tweet. I'm a bit responsible for that because I used to do that tweet did you do that? I used to do that tweet all the time <laughs> like every time I mentioned the well, fee it would go up by a hundred million pounds it is well, you started something we're now on you know status stratospheric numbers so instead we, we've, we've again gone, get, gone away from the game um and it, this this tweet made me chuckle actually it's by Martin Biddulph who does tweet quite regularly and, and does have the ability to make me laugh quite a lot um and he Basically, it just summed up the mood to take away from the penalty drama and the possible loss of a couple of points, just to put into context a little bit of smugness around Burnley at the moment. So this week's Tweet of the Week, sent in by Martin, just says, just the 25 points ahead of one Rovers now. Hashtag mind the gap. And he even tags their official page in just to give them a gentle reminder that they are now way behind us so well done martin that was a funny tweet it's always a good way to cheer yourself up when Burnley haven't won to have another look at the league table i also like one that just said could be worse could be derby since they lost to mk down to the weekend oh yes of course that's, that's amusing so keep your tweets coming in and natalie will be all over the twitters to to see what should win the twitter is at none and ever net if you want to at us directly um, Natalie, what's your Twitter name thing if people want to direct you to tweets and say pick my tweet, my tweet's the best tweet <laughs> pick it me, pick it me my Twitter handle is just at Natalie underscore Bromley and I'm sure we'll be checking hashtag Twitter carrots and so on as well we will. maybe even hashtag BFC which people seem to be using these days um, but finally on the podcast this week we'll look ahead to the game at the Turf on Saturday Rotherham United the visitors to Turf more. I suppose this looks like a fairly easy three points on paper, James, but nice little sub-pop with the appointment of Neil Warnock. It's always enjoyable to see him return to the turf with all the history he's got with our fans. I'm sure he'll get his customary song um, from the crowd and uh, it'll be the usual atmosphere for him. Um, obviously, it, it, on paper, it should be a straightforward win for us and, and hopefully it will be. Um, it'd be good to obviously get another win at Turf Moor and continue cementing its status as a really tough place for people to go to. You'd never want to count chickens before the hatch, Natalie, but this is the sort of game that you'd expect us to win quite easily, isn't it? 
Yes, I think so, um, especially given our performances against um, the teams in the bottom half of the table, especially those who struggle to score. Um, I didn't think Rotherham were particularly a bad side when I went to watch them um, away from home earlier on in the season. Um, they are just lacking the, you know, the class of, of some players that you know can push them into the top half of the table. But they're not a bad side. But I don't expect to. I don't expect them to turn us over at all. Rotherham's tackle we might made even more difficult by the fact two of their players are going to be suspended. Um, fairly typical Warnock style, they had two players sent off in his first game in charge, although they did manage to get points at home to Birmingham. So there'll be no Joe Mattock or Richard Wood. Yes, they have a player whose name literally is Dick Wood. That is a true fact. Um, so that's two of their stronger defenders who will be missing for the game. Um, I, don't, I don't want to count chickens like I said, James, but we should be looking at this as a real opportunity to get our goal difference up as much as anything. We've beaten teams around the bottom quite easily this season and you'd expect us to put a few past Rotherham as well. Yeah, and um, hopefully we can add to um our list of uh four goal games at Turf Moor for this season. Um I think that'd be a really nice way to just a really nice way to, to, to play the game, wouldn't it? I think to see four or more goals at the turf again and, you know, get get some entertaining football for the crowd and uh, and really try and get get fans excited for, for the rest of the season. Of course, it's a, another double header at the turf. Traditionally, we've not made the most of these, but we've already taken six points from a Saturday, Tuesday at the turf. And uh, Forest have just lost um, for the first time in a while, actually, their unbeaten run. But this is a really good opportunity to get another six points down and put pressure on the teams above us. Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, when these games come... Uh, Quickly, I think you want to get maximum points from these because I think as much as you know that the actual points you get, I think there is a psychological aspect to it as well, where obviously teams see you pick up you know a large number of points in a short period, um, and obviously with it being a home game as well, you want to you want to take every advantage of when teams have to come to the turf, particularly if it is a Tuesday night because you know the weather in Burnley is not normally the nicest on a Tuesday night in February. Natalie, predictions then, I suppose you're going to try and continue justifying your stance since we didn't lose to Reading. No, I, I think we're done. we're done. I think, I, yes! well, I think we're done. <laughs> I've hated this so much, I'm so pleased it's over. <laughs> I know, I, it was a slow decline, I could feel it, so... Um, obviously the curse you know my superstition is gone and not the curse but the you know the, the, the positive you know reverse psychology has not worked anymore so we can now relax and go back to some sensible good predictions so I am going to say 4-0 to Burnley a very convincing win excellent another opportunity as well um, we're recording this on Monday before Middlesbrough go to Leeds and Hull play on Tuesday as well but neither of those sides are in action at the weekend so That'll be a really good opportunity for us to make some points up on that. Um, James, you know what I'm feeling for this weekend? I think it's time to bring back the Andre Gray hat-trick bet. Oh, I think it's yes. time. What do you reckon? I think definitely it's going to be uh, <laughs> three goals from an Andre Gray hat-trick. <laughs> I, I think Let's I've just do done it. a Jedi man trick <laughs> on James Burnett on the, on the podcast. Uh, confidence all round then, looking ahead. To next week. Um, it is a Saturday, Tuesday, at the turf, so we're not sure when we'll be recording the podcast, but it'll be out next week at some point and possibly after 
the forest game depending on when we're free and all that fun stuff um but that's it for this week thanks to dan from the tyler send reading fc fan site and podcast check it out if you want to see what they thought of the game um thanks for listening email us if you've got any questions or feedback or if you want to come on the podcast or anything like that the email address is podcast at no net. we are also seeking a sponsor at the moment so if you're interested or if you think your business would be interested please give us a shout very reasonable rates um email us if you are interested in that the email address is podcast at no net. you can also tweet us Twitter is at NoNameNeverNet. But that's it for this week. Thanks to Natalie and James for joining us. Thanks to everyone who's listened, and we'll be back next week. Goodbye. The Talksport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them, honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.